So, this is what I felt I had to bring. I'm going to call this message tonight the uncommon narrative. Now, if anybody knows what a common narrative is, it's something of a story that is common, that everybody sort of gets with, everybody knows. In cultures, they all, you know, they tend to be a common narrative. We English people have a common narrative, the way we go about our, our lives. And in many cultures of the world, there's this common narrative. Well, there's a common narrative to the Christian gospel. Do you know that? If you go out there and you can talk to somebody who doesn't like to come to church, doesn't know anything about much, God doesn't have any spirituality, but they'll know the common narrative of the Christian story. Is that right or not? Right, definitely. So there is a common narrative. But the problem is the common narrative has been screwed with. It's been messed with. And so the story that's out there that most churches is actually supporting is actually not the story that it was meant to be. Now you say, oh, heck. Unfortunately, that's the case. And like I was saying a few minutes ago, it's almost as though the story that has become common is the one that people like the best. And you think, hang on a minute. So let me just tell you, and you probably know it, what's the common narrative of the Christian message? Well, we're all sinners. Let's just keep it very simple. God sent Jesus to die for sinners. And if we believe in him, we will what? Go to heaven and we die. But those who don't believe will be what? Sentenced to eternal conscious torment. Does that sound about the common narrative to you? Does it sound about right? Do we like the sound of that story? Whoa. So you see, that's the common narrative. But you see, there's an uncommon narrative that's just interesting. And like I said, not many people are interested in this one. It's like, well, what's the point then? Because actually, it's a far nicer story. See, some, I don't know who it was, and I looked for this quote all over the place, but I couldn't find it. But somebody said, and I wrote it down, was this, one day we will be horrified at what we believed about God. One day we'll be horrified at what we believed about God. Some of the stuff that I was brought up and that I swallowed whole, yeah, whole, like a whole chicken. I don't, I'm surprised I didn't gag. I'm surprised that I just, I, I, I can't even believe it now. Some of the things that I was willing to accept because it was like, well, yeah, the common narrative. This is, this is what, what it is. How did we ever come to accept such stuff and feel, here's the word, comfortable about it? We've all done it, felt comfortable about certain things. I'm disgusted now at some of the things that I swallowed. Because you see, when we think about what's going on, even in Iran and Afghanistan and all of that, and we see the horrors, we don't like that and we hate it and it makes us sick. We hate it. And then in the next breath, we attribute such atrocities to God. Is that right? Does it work for you? It doesn't work for me. We think of Hitler and what he did with all those people, putting them into concentration camps and into the gas chambers. We don't swallow that. We say, 
It's wrong. And yet in the next breath we'll say, oh yes, but God is going to do far more than that. When he gets an opportunity, it won't be just however many million, 15 million was it? Sorry, I haven't got my facts straight, but 15 million. It's going to be billions. Can you swallow that? It makes me feel that somewhere along the, the line, the church has become deceived, don't you think? So, how did we ever get round this? Now, I'm going to tell you what I was taught. And uh, I really, I've, I've sort of spent, spent a bit of time writing this down. So, if, I might just read it a little bit if that's okay. So, I, I get it over, you see. When I was... Uh, forced to sort of answer these problems, it was this. Yes, but you see, God is just. And God doesn't want people to go to hell, but he's forced to do against his will. Because you see, he's accountable to some sort of higher mechanism. God is a decent judge, but he's stuck in a rigid, heartless system that he has no power over. He wants to forgive everybody, but he has to play by the rules of the court. Now, does that fit? Come on, think about it. Who, who's heard that? So you see, yeah, thank you. I see that hand, Danny. Thank you very much. Any more offers? Anybody heard that? So you see, God really doesn't want to do that, but he has to because he is just. Just what? Just what? And then this is the question I want to ask. What court? What court? Excuse me. What is the mechanism that's higher in authority to God? You see, when you go to court, the judge that you're in front of is operating according to a higher mechanism than himself. But when you stand before the judge of God, there is nobody above him. Oh, now are you getting it? Isn't that amazing? He can do whatever he wants. So he can say, Jenny, you're a mess. You are sentenced to outer darkness forever, and then he'll say, nah, I'm only kidding. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> what are you laughing at? Have I done something wrong? What did I do? <laughs> yeah, would Jenny argue? That's the point. Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah. You see, what we've done is in order to stop God sounding like a monster, we've had to make some sort of, of justification for these actions. When actually, we shouldn't make any justifications at all. We should be saying, if God is a God of love, then maybe what we've heard about what's in the future is not as kosher as we've been taught it is. But you see, we find scriptures to somehow support. We say the Bible reinforces this. Does it? 
Ooh. Now, you can all get with me after and say, well, this says this, and this says that, and this says the other. And we can't go through it all tonight, but I'm going to cover in a couple of examples so you get my, 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 my gist. See, we look at things like the rich man and Lazarus. You know the story when the guy who won't give anything to the poor man at the door, and then he dies, and he ends up in, quote, heaven, and the rich man ends up in hell. We see, there you go, there's the proof, there's the proof. What? Because if we actually get down to it, do we believe that just because you're rich, you go to hell, and because you're poor, you go to heaven? Of course not. So even the premise that we use to reinforce our belief is incorrect in the first place. Listen, I don't know about you. Trajectory. You understand trajectories. If you start at the same spot, but one thing is at one and the next thing is at two and you start going apart, when you get however far ahead, say 100 metres, how far apart are those two places going to be? Do you get me? Because you're going, it starts off almost next to each other, but if you start at the wrong place, you can be absolutely way off the mark in, in not far at all. So anyway, let me just carry on. Another example. When you look at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, we reinforce our belief about all sorts of things because we say, there you go. God was mad. He said, I'm going to destroy it all. And that's sort of a, a future thing about this is the sort of a picture of hell and all those, this, that and the other. But listen to this. This just absolutely amazes me. When we say, well, God destroyed the city because of its, its wrongdoing and its homosexuality because of Sodom. Should we put hashtag Sodom? That would be a good one, won't it? That would be good. That will get it. Yeah. So we think of Sodom and Gomorrah. But have you ever read it? I mean, I just can't get my head around this. These angels come into Sodom, lots there, this guy who's supposedly a goodie. But anyway, he's there, these angels who are guys are in his house and some of the guys from the city go and say, knock on the lot's door and they say, let me have those guys because we want to have sex with these angels. Lot says, no, that is disgusting, we're not going to do that. I'll tell you what we'll do, take my daughters instead and you can have them. So, God destroys Sodom. He lets Lot live, right, who offered the girls to be raped, but then later sleeps with both his daughters and they both have children, which become one is the Moabites and something else. I'm not really interested in the detail, if that's all right. What I'm trying to show you, what a mess, but somehow we... God destroyed Sodom because of all the evil. But Lot gets away with whatever. Oh, come on. Do you see how we've used scripture to reinforce stuff that is just total rubbish? Then we have to look at Noah. Ooh, that's definitely the one that's going to reinforce because the people who get in the boat are the ones who go into heaven. 
And the ones who didn't, the ones who are going to drown. Picture of hell. Jenny and I were laughing the other week because we say, this is a story that we tell to our children. Because there's animals in it. They went in two by two. Can you imagine saying to your children, and then, as the boat was floating on the water, it was deep with bloated, dead bodies. We don't, do we? Don't add that bit. Now you see, why am I saying this? Because this is a point where God supposedly, and I'll get to this in a minute, because I believe that often, and it was up there when the Urban Rev stuff was on there about the Bible being relevant, the ancient people of this time, this is how they viewed what was going on, right? So they put, basically, that God had got upset. Oh, hang on a minute. The gods that most other countries had used to get upset when people didn't do what was right. So when he got upset, he thought, right, let's wipe them all away. Now, whether it's actually a, a true or not, or a symbol, I don't know, but I'm just telling you what's going on here. And basically, we've got the story that says, this is hopeless, I don't like what's going on in the world, let's just watch, watch everybody but Noah down the drain because everybody's wicked. Now, I'm telling you that because we have this as a reinforcement of why we believe that there is going to be such thing as a hell. Because we say, well, if God did it then, he can do it again. Is, is that fair enough? So, we often say if God wants to sort the evil that's in the world, then why doesn't he just use his power to do it? Why is he taking so long to do, sort it all out? Because we say, why does God let it all happen? Why is he so indirect and often late when we ask him to do something, he turns up a bit late? Why does he just some, knock some heads together and get on with the job? Well, this story, if you want, you could say, he did. He said, don't like what's going on, so what we're going to do is clear the deck and let's start again. Now, that was the common narrative. We started talking about a common story. That's what gods could do. That's what they had a right to do. Does that make sense? Because that's what they all did. But what is so fantastic about this is that the end of the story isn't the common narrative. Because every other god would have said, right, wipe the slate clean. That's it. Happy now. We've sorted it all out. Don't matter about what's going on here, but this story ends in a totally different way. Now, you see, we, can, we could say, yeah, but that, what about, the point is, whether it really was God's doing, so you could say, all right, was the tsunami that happened in, oh, I can't remember, was it 1998? I can't remember, but whenever. We wouldn't now talk about that as an act of God, would we? We just wouldn't. We know about weather. We know about moving plates under the oceans. Do you think they did back then? I'm not so sure. 
Do you get, do you get me? So their view, do you remember? I mean, even when I was a little girl, they used to talk about thunder, the, the crack of thunder. Oh, it's God moving his furniture. Shows you how old I am. All I'm saying is that there are ways that we talk about things that we don't understand. Now, 9-11, I can even show you on, um, in, on, on the internet where people who profess to be Christian are even suggesting that 9-11 was the judgment of God for the sin of America. I mean, come on. But you see, people can decide that this is God's judgment when it was actually evil people who chose to do, by their choice, evil things. Is, is this making sense to you? I, I hope it is. I mean, you can go online and see this, this the guy called Jerry Falwell, who, his take on the matter is this, that it's because, you know, there's been too much liberalism, people are doing wrong, and there's 400 million Babies slaughtered in abortions. So this is why God is taking a stand and, you know, sending aeroplanes into towers. Come on. It's stupid, isn't it? You see, when we suffer, we often look for a cause and we want to decide what, what this is. But what I love about this story is that the end is different. See, the common narrative is, that's okay, that's what God's do. But the uncommon narrative is that God said, I don't like this end. <laughs> I don't like this. They might say, well, why did he do it in the first place? Now, I have a theory that if you don't do a God act first, you're not going to be believed to be a God. Because somehow a God's got to act like a God. Or otherwise, see, when Jesus came on the earth, what was the problem that most people had with him? He didn't act like a God. They said, no, you're wimpy, you're a wuss. Let's see some, woo, you know. But you see, he wanted to operate with a different sort of power. This God, now you might say this God, there is only one God. Listen, if you look in the Psalms, find how many scriptures that talk about the gods. There's a, we used to sing a song uh, about how great you... Uh, oh, Lord, among the gods. What was it? Do you not know that one, Joel? You should... Come on. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods. Hang on a minute. The Bible's talking about other gods. It's not that there are them. It's just other countries believed that there were them. Do you get it? And so all the time, the, the Bible is constantly making references to different cultures who worship different gods. Even in the story of, of, of uh, King Saul. And I mean, this is slightly different, but you'll get, you'll get what I'm talking about. The Israelites say, said to... Samuel, give us a king so we can be like every other nation of the world. God didn't want to give them a king. He'd given them prophets and wise people. But they said, let us be the same as everybody else. Have you ever thought that they wanted even a God that was like the other nation's gods? The ones that zapped everybody? 
Anyway, this God is different. And this is how we should measure and how we should op operate. See, lots of stories. I mean, if you, again, you can go online. See how many stories there are about floods. See how many cultures have their own flood story with their own hero, with somebody who builds a boat and saves people. All over the world, there's flood stories. Hello. But the one difference is, the only one that ends differently is this one. With hope, with mercy, with some grace. What's the difference? There's a change of heart. Oh, this is a problem for most people. They can't hack the fact that God can change, have a change of heart. Because they'll say, oh, how can I trust a God who does one thing one minute and changes his mind the next? <gasps> That's something for you to get your head around, isn't it? It is. But the point is this, he made a covenant. He made a covenant of non-intervention with people. He says, you know, he says, I've intervened. He says, I've done it. I've wiped. I've done all this. And I've got, I'm starting again. He says, but I'll tell you what, I'm not going to do this anymore. And he puts a, he puts a bow in the sky, a coloured bow. And what's incredible about that, it's almost like God's saying, I'm hanging up my power to zap. I'm not going to do that anymore. Or you could say, he was saying, anything that I want to do when I feel I'm so angry at them, I'm going to actually turn it towards himself. Does that make sense? So instead of sending his feelings that way, he's going to actually send it heavenward. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? He says, I'm going to do that instead. I'll, I'll send it heavenward. See, it's shown his power one way, but then he chooses to use another kind of power. Story starts the same, but it ends very differently. With his bow in the sky, he says, no, I want relationship. You see, what happens when you zap things? Is there any hope of relationship after that? Might sound like a good idea. We might rid ourselves of the problem. And you know what? Some of you, and I, and I feel I'm speaking this from heart, some of you are going through things where you're saying, I just wish that would stop. And you want to do something just to wipe it away and say, right, that's the end of that walk away. But you do know once you do that, there's no relationship there anymore. It's done. And you say, oh, yeah, but that would be better. It would be great. Oh, I don't know. You see, we only know after it's happened, don't we? And when we close the door to some things, we say, oh, well, yeah, that'd be brilliant. In fact, no, we close the door to relationship. And you see, this uncommon narrative that I'm talking about to the people of the time was a mind-blowing concept. They didn't know about gods who had a, a different idea about how they were going to deal with people. That is, they would say, okay, please the gods, we're okay. Displease the god, you're done. Suddenly they're faced with a different idea. It was a mind-blowing concept. Now, if we're not careful, the church carries on still in the mindset of the original thought rather than 
the afterthought, the new thought. What is the new thought? He says, I'm going to put a bow in the sky. Do you know what I like about this? He says, listen, Genesis 9 verse 16 says this, and the bow shall be in the cloud. You were talking about clouds, weren't you? And I will look upon it that I may remember. Do you know what? I love that. Because you see, many times, we, we're forever telling people what they should be covenanting with God, when actually the Bible's full of what he is covenanting with you. He says, I'm putting that bow there for my benefit, so I will remember what I've promised you. I am never doing that again. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question. If he's never going to do that again... How can he ever do what we've said as a church? I don't mean just us as, as a one group, but the church in general. Do what we say he's going to do to millions of people who just choose to decide that they don't want to believe. He said he would never do it again. I'm glad you're excited. Because you'll all tell me, I've always believed that. No, you haven't. Because you, you, in many ways, you, you still want there to be the common narrative. You do. And I'll tell you how this place would be, would be full if we went back to the common narrative. People want to sit in church. They want to know that they've done their, their duty. And they want to know that when they go out, that God's given them a few brownie points. And if they get 20 by the time they die, they're in. That's what people want. The moment you say, that's not this God. Oh, oh, I'll go to a church where that is the God then. Now you might say you're making excuses. I don't believe I am. I don't believe I am. I, I truly believe that the human heart wants justice so bad that they even make God out to be a monster in order that they can get the justice that they want. When God is actually saying, that's not who I am. So, even God gets it. Do this, relationship's over. So what am I going to think about it? It's a bit mad anyway. Because he kept Noah alive, you're already on a bit of a lost cause. <laughs> I mean, isn't this hilarious? Noah's still alive and is, everybody else is gone. I mean, you know, were they more wicked than everybody else? No, they, they, just, they just didn't get in the boat. Do you get me? So Noah's still alive. The very first thing he does, he gets drunk and ends up naked and oh, doing all sorts of stuff. Who cares? But the point is, what God had done, if he'd done it, and remember that's why I said this was the common story of what gods were doing, it actually hadn't done much good. Think about it. Because Noah's still alive. And if there's only one, it's going to muck everything up. Thank you, darling. I am right. That's okay. So, he said... We're going to have a 180 degree shift. I'm still going to operate in power, but I'm going to use a different type of power, which for all the world 
looks more like weakness. He says, I'm going to use a power that in many ways, and and that's why I love the phrase, the ungodlike God. Because you see, to the Greeks, when Jesus came on the earth, he didn't live up to their expectations. When the Jews, Jesus came uh, on the earth, the Jews didn't like him because he didn't live up to their expectations. Why? Because he didn't resemble in the head what people expected a God to be. But you see, this power of love, it doesn't guarantee the stopping of evil, <laughs> does it? And that's what we prefer. It doesn't guarantee it. It can touch your heart. It can soften, soften your heart. But it doesn't necessarily change what we want to see changed. But you see, it's the only thing in the world that evil itself cannot touch. That's why it's so powerful. God in Christ was forgiving and in the body, dead body of Jesus, he was wedging open the door between himself and the world so that door could never be shut. See? He says, I'll tell you what. He says, I'll, I'll use my son as the door wedge. Isn't that awesome? Use him as the wedge. So you see, you can use direct intervention power because the use of force, you can try and get what you want, but it has huge limitations because ultimately it closes the door to relationships. I remember Anth preached in one church and he, he was talking about the whole understanding of hell and where uh, the word has been sort of man-made because it's not what's translated. And this guy at the end, he says, you're not taking away my hell. And you think, why would anybody want one? He says, you're not taking away my hell. And I want you to check your heart. Do we want our God to be the uncommon, the ungodlike God? Or do we want him to resemble all the others. And all the others, they're not going to have mercy at the end. They're not going to have grace at the end. But boy, they can zap. Does this make sense? So to us in this house, we're going to have an uncommon narrative. And some people don't like it. I was even having a conversation this week where uh, you realize that the more that you release people and actually give them the freedom that God died to give people, it actually, it, it does something. And actually you feel like you, 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 lose, you lose any sort of grasp because there's no leverage. You can't say, oh, well, you should do this and you should do that. You say, do you know what? See, that's why the, the Bible talks about Christ being a living spirit and about us being living stones. It's not about a static 
belief. It's about a dynamic faith that each and every one of us is actually living it out in relationship with God individually. And everything for you is going to be different than for me. That's how incredible it is. Because just as it's an uncommon narrative, every one of our stories is uncommon. You, we all have different stories. And I'll tell you what, I hate it when people judge and criticize people's stories. Stop it. Be unique and amazing. Your story is, is history. You're making history. Now you say, yeah, but mine's not a good story. Oh, I'll tell you what, I can just look back at the last 11 years and say, why has all this happened to me? I don't like this story. I wanted a different story. I wanted a dull story. I actually wanted nothing to happen of any note that anybody could have anything to say about. That's not life. Come on. It's not life. But then we have this weird idea. Oh, yes, but it has to fit. What? Because we look at even the Bible and say, well, it should be like this and we have to do this. Do you know what? God is saying, live your life, your story. And even if it looks as though it's all a bit of a mess, like Noah, he's saying you can still, you can still have a part in, in the whole history of the world. Do you not think that's amazing? Well, I do. Good. I'm glad you do. Do for me. Are you listening to music as well? <laughs> She's actually saying yes to whoever's singing in her ears, isn't she, really? So, where do I want to bring this? Where do I want to bring this? This, this house is going to continue to preach the uncommon narrative. What do I mean by the uncommon narrative? Okay, we can say there's certain things that apply to certain gods, but our God, our God, he puts a bow in the sky. And we're going to say as well that our God doesn't look like the other gods. He doesn't act like the other gods, but he is totally the one who unconditionally makes a way for all people to be redeemed and partner with him in the restoration of all things. Isn't that amazing? Awesome. So what I would like to do, I would give, uh, like to give you an opportunity. Uh, you know, we don't talk about repentance very much because repentance used to be used always in the context of being sorry for a wrongdoing. And I just find that's a bit sad, isn't it? See, for me, repentance should be when we decide we're going to change our mind about a version or a view that we've had that's actually crippled our spirits, that's kept us like birds in a cage, totally tied up, not really knowing how to live because we've been so afraid and so paralyzed. I want us to repent of that. And so, you see, I say to myself, as I've been studying this today and I've been saying, oh God, there's so many things in, in, in the Bible that can, can reinforce and can tell us that what we, we're thinking is wrong. 
but actually let me give you the benefit of the doubt and about your unconditional love, your unconditional grace, your mercy that cries out. So I don't know, is there anybody who would like to say yes? I have been bound by the common narrative and what I want to do right now is repent of it and actually understand that when I said at the beginning about there is no higher mechanism than God. There's no higher mechanism. And so when we stand before the judge and his gavel comes down, he says, acquitted. That's the judgment he's made over you. Does that make anybody ex excited? Does anybody want to say yes? I'm going to change my version, my view. I'm going to repent and I'm actually going to, with all my heart, seek to serve and partner with God so that he can get his world back to how he wanted it in the beginning. Does anybody want to, to, to do that? If you do, just stand and then we'll just make that an offering to, to God and say, right, God, I'm going to live a different life. I'm going to make it different because from now on, I'm going to live out the uncommon narrative and it's going to change my life. It's not going to let you do less. It's going to actually push you to do more because you're going to want to make sure that you partner with this incredible God who hung up his intervention power. And that's why often we get disappointed with God because we say, Oh, I wish he was more like, or I wish he was this, I wish he was that. He, he said, no. He says, for a time, he says, I hate what's going on. He says, but I've made a promise. I ain't ever doing that again. God, you're so good. So awesome. So amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, well, we're just going to just commit ourselves to God Lord I'd love this place to be filled with people who know this uncommon narrative and that they can get the joy of what that means and live it out in this earth but Lord, we're not even going to be afraid of understanding that it's not about bums on seats, but it's about being willing to, to live out the truth of this God is different. And so those who have stood, Lord, I ask that you will touch their hearts with a new understanding of how you operate, how you operate with them how you operate with this world. And I pray that our hearts will be stirred and excited. Something of a, of a new spirit will well up within us that will make us excited about the God that we serve. Just help us now as we go on our way. I pray that we will operate in the power of love, which might seem to the world as weakness, but we know that it's overall what will have the ultimate power and change, change everything in our world. So we give you praise, God. 
We thank you for being different. We thank you for being ungodlike. We thank you that you were willing to connect right with us where we are. And thank you, God, that, you, that when you connect with us, you never leave us the same as when you meet with us. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Bless you all. See you when.